Welcome to Lead to Succeed. This is the podcast to hear from the leaders of today in various fields from entrepreneurs to corporate directors. We hear their stories, lessons learned and challenges faced, as well as insights and advice to become a successful and an inspiring leader. The podcast is presented by us, Callum and Rebecca Jenkins, as we both believe that we all have the potential to be outstanding leaders if that's what we choose. Hello everyone, welcome to our listeners. We're really excited to have Tony Barrett on our podcast. He's our guest today. Now, Tony has a huge amount of experience in the customer experience. So he's MD of Investor in Customers. So welcome, Tony. We're delighted to have you on our podcast today. Would you like to do a little bit brief intro? Thank you. And uh, hello, Rebecca. Hello, Callum. And um, yes, as Rebecca says, I'm Tony Barris. I'm uh, MD of Investor in Customers, uh, possibly one of the UK's best kept secrets, which we're trying to uh, change at the moment. We work with organisations around the customer experience field, um, very much helping them to retain more customers, attract more customers by really understanding what's going on in their business. And we look at four key areas. How well do you understand your customers? Having understood them, how well do you meet their needs? What do you do in terms of delighting customers because satisfying them isn't good enough anymore? And what does that mean in terms of engendering loyalty? And what we look at is trying to bring together the, the two sides, the internal, the external. So we look at what do the senior leadership team think should be going on? Is there a gap between that and what the employees think they're doing around customer experience? And most importantly, is there a gap between what the employees or the managers think is going out and what the customers think they're receiving? And then we work with organizations to help them close those gaps and build better businesses as a result. We also have an award um, for customer excellence that we have at gold, silver or bronze level. So not just you don't just get the actionable insight, but you also get independent verification of how good your customer experience is. I think what would be fair to say, Tony, is that I've been working with a business where IIC came in and did a full assessment. It did, in fact, did two full assessments on the customer experience in the company, and it had a massive impact on the performance um, of the company and it, it provided such detailed insight. So um, it's a really powerful assessment for companies to consider, particularly companies that really want to stand out in the marketplace and offer something that's, that's different and lead their, I'm gonna be leading and uh, be ahead of their competitors, I think will make, it makes a big difference to them. Yes, I'd, I'd agree. I think the, a lot of products and services are, are pretty much homogenous these days. There's, there's not a lot of difference between the two. And actually, companies are competing on how good they're looking after customers. They talk a lot about treating customers fairly, but it's about actually understanding what they need and anticipating those needs as well. Um, customers only know what they know. And, and quite often, they're not aware of some of the other ways you can help them. And sometimes that's not always easy for, for companies where they just um, carry on doing what they've always done. So let's talk about what leadership means to you. Yeah, so I'm sure you get from um, the intro that you've given us so far, I'm sure we have some interesting stories about, um, you know, what you've experienced in your role as MD. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced, you know, multiple different styles of leadership from your own experience, your own company to other leaders. Um, but just, yeah, to kick things off, what, what does leadership mean to you? 
I think there's there's a lot of textbook definitions um, about the difference between management and leadership. Um, things like having a vision, setting a goal, setting a direction, the importance of people getting people to buy into that vision and follow you. But to me, I think the one crucial difference between between leadership and managers is that uh, managers get things done whilst leaders make things happen. And by that, I mean very much in terms of the management role is more functional. Um, it's about responding to certain situations, quite focused in terms of particular areas where leaders have got to take a, a bigger picture. And I think that's one of the, probably the biggest challenge I think in for most leaders. And I think it's any, looking at the current political climate, I think it's probably the one of the easiest jobs in the world, I think would be the leader of the opposition because you can just focus on single issues. You can just pick up, you know, that might be free school meals, that could be, um, lockdowns or whatever, and you can just focus on on one thing and 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 just concentrate all your attentions on that. Whereas, actually, as a prime minister, which is probably think one of the hardest jobs in the world at the moment, you've actually got to look at the biggest pic, you know, much bigger picture. You've got to balance um, economic needs against health needs. You've got to balance needs of all the departments. And I think, you know, we all know that we're living in interesting times, as that uh, Chinese proverb says. Um, but I think it's a. Uh, I think that from a true leadership point of view, you've actually really got to look at the the, the whole area um, of what's going on. I think that's as true in politics as it as it is in business. And I've worked in departments where I've really fought my corner and sat in board meetings as a um, a director um, with a, a marketing function, really getting annoyed that you know I'm not getting the budget clearance or whatever. But I've just been focused very much on a on a single issue. Whereas in terms of leadership, when I've been running the business, it's been much more about, well, how do you actually balance all those things? And I think one of the, one of the areas that um, I think leaders sometimes weep from or, or suffer from is too much compromise. They try and be everybody's friend. They try and satisfy um, and do everything for everybody. And to use that old expression, you can't please all the people all the time. But at the same time, compromise isn't always the area. So you've got to have responsibility and you've really got to sort of... Uh, make some of the hard choices. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for that, uh, Tony. Um, and I, when you when you gave your intro to start with, you were saying, you know, about really helping your company, your customers retain more customers, attract more customers and all those sorts of things. So do you think in terms of, I was going to ask you about what qualities do you think make an outstanding leader based on what you said? I imagine one of those might be listening or something like that. Would you have any sort of other things which you think, you know, really make an effective and outstanding leader? I think be fair, don't have favorites. Um, I think if I ask the question in a slightly sort of opposite way, I think one of the things that a lot of leaders fall down on is recruiting people like themselves. Um, and that's not just about having a yes person. Um, but I think we, we work quite a lot in financial services. And I think one of the areas there is it, it's, it's not sufficiently diverse. I think there's too many people who recruit and build teams around people who are like them. And I think that gives a very narrow view in terms of how they can actually work within that environment and it becomes quite focused and I think one of the um, again one of the areas I think is, is an issue these days I think particularly with social media and with 24-7 um, news you see that a lot in terms of people who you know the, the, they think everybody thinks the same as them because they happen to listen to the, the the one radio presenter or they look at the social media channels that is aimed at their particular market and I think some leaders are suffering from that. So I think a good leader is somebody who can who can look at all the options and can actually make a balanced judgment. Um, and sometimes that means making tough decisions, but uh, um, I think in, in there, if you, if you can't uh, 
be the leader. Um, if you can't take those tough de decisions, then I think you really sort of, you know, you shouldn't be in the job. I remember my first ever role and I worked, I did a um, business studies degree and I worked in a, um, a small company as part of my year out in industry. And there was a, a financial director there who um, at the time I was there had to make um, three people redundant. And I remember sitting with him in his office after he'd done it. So look, you know, how could you do that? It's really, you know, it must be really tough. And he just looked around and said, well, look, I've got a nice car outside. I've got a nice lifestyle, you know, I'm good at what I do, but I also have to make sure I make the tough decisions. And it really stuck with me that you know, if you want the if you want the success, you've also got to make sure that you're you're prepared to deal with the responsibility. Pat, I think there's already a good point, especially about making tough decisions as well. Um, but if say someone was in, you know, let's say perhaps more of a, a junior position at a company or they were like a young entrepreneur or something like that, where they're not necessarily able to um, they're not necessarily in control of like employing a diverse range of people. Do you think there was like maybe one particular aspect of something that they could practice or try to become better at to make themselves like a more effective leader? Um, I think it depends on the situation and the circumstances. I think that you know, there's never a, a, a sort of golden buzzer that's going to give you that sort of um, route to success um, yeah. within these areas. But I think the um, training, I think, is, is a vital, vital area. I think actually learning um, and being aware of, of how things are changing very quickly um, and not being set. Um, I think that's, you know, we, we talk a lot about continuous improvement and, and development, but I think I think for, for people starting out now, one of the key things is a combination of being flexible, willing to change, um, but also really understanding that um, you know, the world does keep changing, things in business keep changing. So how can you keep on top of that and how can you... Uh, uh, really make sure that you know, you're, you're ahead of the game in terms of what's going to happen next. Sure, that makes sense. Thanks, Danny. Um, and one particular thing, one thing I wanted to sort of wrap up, wrap up on on my end. Um, obviously, you've been MD of investment customers, customers now for quite a number of years. Um, was there a particular time before that, or perhaps it was this role where you realised you sort of first stepped into a leadership sort of position? Um, I don't think I've ever consciously chosen to be a leader rather than a manager. I, I sort of rather fell into it, to be honest. Um, and not just in business, but in all walks of life. So after I graduated, I came home from, from university and started playing cricket at the club, which was pretty much my second home because I'd been there for, brought up there and my dad was a member and I sort of was there sort of pretty much before I could walk. Um, and I became a captain. Um, I became, became the captain by default because nobody else wanted to do it. And then you suddenly realise that you know, it wasn't about just managing your own game. It was about managing the team, um, but also leading that team. And, and that was a team where I had people there who were you know, older than my dad and um, youngsters, you know, so some of the young people coming through. So it's trying to find that balance and, and really looking at that in terms of how do you um, communicate? How do you um, try and get really on? The, you know, the aim was to win, but at the same time, people were doing this for fun. So they all wanted to have their game and want to have their own sort of uh, opportunity to do things so it was trying to find that balance of, of, of pleasing people I think another role I think is uh, I'm, I'm a school governor I believe a lot in putting back into the community and um, I found myself in my second meeting as a school governor suddenly taking over as chair of the finance committee because the, um, well, the school unfortunately had been subject to a fraud which had only just come to light uh, the, the previous chair of the finance committee resigned um, and we suddenly found ourselves with a, a very significant deficit and again I went from sort of what I would be was part of a part of a committee part of a team to suddenly sort of 
leading a, a crisis management program in terms of um, how do we get ourselves out of this deficit. So again, I think in that, I didn't, I didn't really sort of choose to be the leader. I was sort of <laughs> in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time, I suppose, depending on which way you look at it. Um, but that was very much, again, it's, you know, how do you bring the people together? And that, that was actually a little bit more about focusing on one issue, which was trying to get people to understand, move away from the blame culture, um, move away from sort of people throwing mud at other people, um, and very much, sort of, you know, where's that focus? But I think an investor in customers, um, again, it wasn't something I planned. Um, with the company, I joined it in, in 2011, um, and it was sort of, bubbling along quite well um, but again it was a, you know, so how do we then sort of take it to the next level and I think that's the um, we then got a situation where we put sort of um, quite a bit of investment into the business um, and I wasn't a, a resounding success shall we say I didn't you know it wasn't wasn't um, a bad decision but it didn't work out quite the way we wanted um, and I sort of then took over the reins with a view to try and get things back on track and, and get a bit more focused so again it was a sort of it was being in in a position in a moment at time as opposed to actually sort of choosing to be the leader and i think you know, from a natural point of view i probably see myself more as a, a sort of a um a, a um a sort of assistant uh, or a number two rather than the leading leading person um but sometimes you've got to step up to the plate it leads mm. in really nicely um tony to my next question really which is around the role of leadership if you're in leader, if you are a leader, you're going to face challenges. It kind of goes with the territory. And you've talked about a couple of challenges that you had to face and lean into. How do you, what's your kind of strategy for dealing with challenging situations that would perhaps encourage others who may face tough um, situations or having to make tough decisions in their business? I think the simple, the simple answer is don't shy away from it. Um, I think I've tried to do that in the past. I tried to sort of ignore things and, and hope they go away, um, and that doesn't really work. I have a, a, a view, and everybody who um, works certainly at, at investor and customers, but in previous roles as well, when I've been manager and running sort of departments of up to twenty odd people, um, don't ever try and hide anything. If, and I always say to people, you know, I've been around long enough that actually most things can be solved. The only time I can't solve something or me in terms of knowing other people who can but the, the only time something can't be solved is if it's left too late to solve it and actually if you're open and honest about mistakes then you can actually pick those up and, and often do something about it as I say it's only when it's too late to do something about it then, then you've got a problem I think the one of the things I think people talk about sort of in, insurmountable challenges insurmountable problems I'm not I'm not sure there's there's such a thing that's in, insurmountable um, I was actually at Bletchley Park yesterday and um, had some time off and went up to Bletchley Park and looked there at seeing how they um, they cracked the seemingly unsolvable Enigma code. And what I found inspirational about that was the pressure they were under. So they knew that, you know, that the longer they took to do it, the more people would die. They knew that if they didn't do it, we'd probably lose the war and all the consequences on that. So, you know, talk about being under enormous pressure. But actually what I, what I realized was they broke it down into a separate challenges. So you know, it was one massive problem, but they broke it down into, into individual puzzles and then got the right people in to work on those puzzles. So they got the experts in to do it. So I think that person, I think it should be on the, uh, on the sort of uh, curriculum of every business school, but it was very much around the, take that problem. It, it looks huge, but actually 
you know, don't try and do it all at once. Just break it down, look at particular areas, and and really sort of, um, well, very much move that into sort of, you know, who are the people who can solve particular problems, and that could be doesn't have to be the sort of, you know, the, the management team or the leadership team. There could be other people in the organisation that can that can help um, within there. So don't be too proud, I think, in terms of uh, asking for help. That really resonates with um, what a number of our guests have said, actually, Tony, that the chief exec, the MD, doesn't have to have all the answers. Yeah. And it's about encouraging your team to help them come through with different ideas and solutions. And if the MD thinks they're always right, then they're definitely wrong. It's kind of some feedback that we've been getting from these podcasts. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I certainly don't think I'm always right. Certainly my, uh, my wife and daughters definitely don't think I'm always right. Um, but I think the, you know, it, it's understanding limitations, but understanding that, that also people have different styles. And you know, my, my background is marketing. And one lesson I learned very quickly in marketing was I had to put the marketing communications together um, for an organization and, and the directors all wanted to be involved. They all wanted to have their say. Um, so I'd send around, um, which is back in the days when things took a lot longer than they do now. Um, but I'd send around sort of a, a newsletter and everybody would feel because they've seen it, they had to contribute, they had to change something. And to be honest, the whole thing looked like a dog's dinner because it was four or five different styles. It was other people putting a bit of content. Somebody wasn't, hadn't read it properly. So they thought, oh, we need to say this or somebody had already said it. So it was then trying to, uh, make sure it wasn't repetitive um, and I then realized that you know it when I now get copy and we, we have our marketing teams um, send me copy I'll base it very much on the that might not be the style I'd written but actually who am I to say that my style is best I'm not the reader I'm not I'm not the person it's directed at so you know and actually it shouldn't be aimed at me so I look for factual content um, is there anything fundamentally wrong that's in there is there anything that's misleading um, so I'm looking at, at, at certain things. I'm not looking at style. I'm not trying to rewrite things just for the sake of rewriting it because I know best. And it also comes back um, to your very um, your initial point, really, Tony, about being able to make that final decision, isn't it? And, you know, you'll take in different feedback. But at the end of the day, the leader has to make that decision, difficult or not. Somebody has to, to lead it, but, yes. be, but in an inclusive way. Yes, you have to take that responsibility. Um, I'm not one who screams and shouts if people make mistakes. Um, I'm not one who you know holds grudges. Well, I like to think I don't. Um, I think the, you have to have a you have to have an environment where people think they can do things. Um, one of the one of the areas, interestingly, with the with the research we do at Investor and Customers is we quite often find that the, the issues that the, the customers are raising in the in the um, assessments and the feedback that we get are also replicated by the um, the staff and sometimes the senior managers. And I think that's from, from a staff point of view, I think there's there very much a, um, what is that? You know, are, you, are you not doing something about that? You know a problem exists, what's stopping you doing something about it? Is it is it attitude or empowerment? By which I mean, you know, is it attitude in that I could do something about it, but I choose not to because it's not my job or not my responsibility or it's too difficult. Um, or is it empowerment that you actually don't believe you're going to get supported by your manager um, and that you don't feel that you've actually you're in a position where you can do things um, to actually make a difference, even though, you know, you can. So it's looking at some of those areas and from a leadership team, it's also looking at the well, who else is going to change this? You know, you, you realize there's a problem. Um, one of the one of the pieces of feedback we get from staff um, more often than, than any other is a, a low score for. 
um, recognition. Um, one of the questions we ask in the assessment is, um, I, um, I'm pleased with the amount of recognition I get for the work I do. That can often be a, a low score. For the senior managers, we also ask the question, um, do staff feel valued and recognised? And that can sometimes be a low score as well. And yeah, I've stood up in, in quite a few boardrooms and said, well, you know, who's going to do something about that? The staff don't feel recognised. The management team don't believe the staff feel recognised. Who's going to recognise them? Because there isn't anybody else. There's nobody coming in from outside to, to recognise them. Um, you know, what are you going to do about it? And, you know, the answer's in this room. Um, so sometimes you've actually got to sort of look and, and really sort of think about, well, actually, you know, <laughs> there's things here that, that, that exist. What can I do about it? I think it would be really interesting, Tony, to, to just drill down into a couple more of those themes that you get, because I know you've actually done over three million kind of individual assessments at IIC, and it would be good. To, what, what other key theme, themes come up from a leadership perspective? I think that recognition one is a really is a really important one. But what else do you see as common themes coming through? I think on the on the customer side, um, failure to anticipate needs is a is a critical one. I think particularly in, a, in the climate we're in at the moment. I think organisations will look at that and will look at the, um, the almost it would be, be a little, almost quite shy about trying to do something else. It's like, I'll hang on to what I've got as opposed to try and look for other areas. Um, we see it in, in, in a number of different areas. One of the, we work with some um, legal practices and one of the areas there is the, is the specialist lawyers and the partners um, could be very good at employment law um, and some of the feedback we had some of the sort of work we've been doing is trying to get them well how do you actually get out of that comfort zone and start looking at the represent the organization as a whole rather than just the bit you're specialist in um, and one example and why I choose employment law is a organization where um, they were going through a large um, growth area they're looking to acquire businesses um, and whilst this lawyer also had a big merger and acquisitions or M&A team, they were talking, the employment lawyer was talking about contracts and talking about you know, the number of people they're going to start recruiting, but didn't actually then move on and think about, well, actually, we've got an M&A &A team that could help with that. They were very interested just thinking about their particular bit. So where was the anticipation of their needs in terms of, well, actually, we can help you with this? Um, it might have meant stepping outside their comfort zone. But actually, it, you know, it would have been the right thing to do for the customer, but also the right thing to do for the business. And I think you know, customers customers don't know what they don't know. Um, and one of the areas that, uh, again, one of the questions we ask is around the um, <laughs> the company will let me know about things they think I might be interested in. And again, it's a it's quite often a low score. And I think that's again it, it's part of a part of the sort of, you know not not wanting to sort of step outside a particular area. But I think it's also it doesn't have to be you know, trying to sell them new things. One of the, one of the companies we work with uh, is an insurance company, and they work a lot with young drivers. And one of the problems there with Indian insurance is how do I carry on continuing or you know, sort of communicating with people? How do I build their loyalty once they've paid for an annual um, insurance policy? And we sort of discussed that. And one of the things they came up with um, a couple of years ago at the um, autumn was well let's communicate with everybody about you know, how do you prepare for winter driving in winter is different the young drivers might not have the experience so talked about the importance of um simple things like having sort of, you know, the, the wind, windscreen washers filled up um you know putting some um gel in it or soap to actually make sure they didn't freeze you know talk about the issues of driving safely um and really it was looking at, oh, they weren't trying to sell something for that, but they were trying to actually develop that relationship and build loyalty. 
And was there an element in there of kind of trying to be uh, innovative? And how important do you think that is in leadership? I think it's, I think it's very important, but I think it's, um, there's no point being innovative if you're not going to see it through. Um, and I think there are leaders who believe that, you know, we've got to change things. Um, back in my marketing days, um, I used to work with a few agencies and I always remember they, they were saying to me that the worst thing that could ever happen was a new marketing director coming into, into one of their clients because the marketing director would, you know, I've got, I'm here now, I've got to be seen to make something happen. Therefore, I'll change, I'll change things. Changing the agency was normally the first thing to do, even if they've been doing it really well in, in the past. So, you know, they knew there was always going to be that vulnerability. Um, but I think there is that, um, that view of, you know, be innovative and change, but do it for the right reasons, not just because you feel you've got to be doing something. And I think some leaders as well um, will suffer from that. They don't always, they haven't got the team behind them. Um, you know, there are people who resistance to change and, and some of the, the workshops we do with senior teams, um, we pick up on the sort of, you know, you've got the people who somebody changed or you know, a new idea comes in and some teams are off. Yeah, that's great. Up and running with that before they've even actually uh, thought about it. And they've gone and it's like, oh, hang on a minute, we're going to rein those back. Others are going to be resistant and change it. Um, and actually quite a few and, and quite often the majority will sit there thinking, yeah, well, we're not quite happily when we talked about this and uh, we give lib service to it but we know that the the, the leader is going to have you know they'll have another idea in a few months time so um you know things will go back to normal he have forgotten about this one so if we just keep nodding politely um give it a few months and he'll be onto something else or she'll be onto something else and um you know things will go back to normal so if you're going to innovate give it the time and actually make sure it's embedded properly because otherwise it just becomes topsy-turvy and another project that doesn't get completed and um, doesn't do anybody any good. And I think one of the things that I really find impressive about IIC is the fact that it is a completely independent assessment and you're providing evidence to the senior team about how the team really feel about the business and customer service and the same from the customers and their clients. You're getting this, you know, their, their perspective as well. And that's a very powerful insight into your business and it's unbiased. And I think that's so important for companies to get that true kind of reflection of what employees and clients are, th are thinking. It, it is. I think it's it, it's also looking at the the actionable insight that comes out as to as to how that can be used effectively. Um, I've sat in sales meetings. I'm I'm a, I'm a marketing person, not a salesperson. I think there's a big difference between the two. Um, but I've, you know, I, I do sales meetings and obviously go and see new clients. And uh, I sat in one meeting where the person opposite me said that this is 100% exactly what we want, but we're not going to do it because it's going to open up a whole can of worms and I'm going to be responsible for putting those right and nobody's going to thank me for um, doing that. And you know, it was slightly flippant. The simple response was great. So, you know, you, you actually, you know, you've got a problem, but you don't want to do something about it. Um, but I think we also find that we look and, with organizations when we give the feedback i think sometimes it's well they would say that wouldn't they you know we've just put our prices up so therefore they're bound to be unhappy or something's just happening in the market so it's actually trying to cut beyond that sort of um view of i'm second guessing what they're really saying to have that view and i think one of the one of the benefits of working with with 300 plus organizations from a number of different sectors large and small but also um We've worked with companies in America, Australia, um, across Europe. So 
it's looking at the the benchmarking that not not in terms of specific numbers although um, that can be important but also putting those scores into context so i talked earlier about anticipate needs it can be a low score um but actually it's then being having the ability to say to people well yes but it might be a low score in comparison to the other scores you you've been getting but in comparison to other businesses like yours actually that's you're outperforming those so um, you know, it's still an area you need to focus on, but it's not quite as bleak as it, it actually looks here. It's putting it into context for them, isn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, the insights that you have on leadership in businesses, it, it, you know, is very detailed and um, very, um, very, very useful. But what would you say, Tony, we've got leaders listening and what would you say would be three really practical pieces of advice that you would give to managers aspiring to be leaders to that they could actually go and implement with their teams or in their business tomorrow i mean i know tomorrow is saturday so but you know what i mean within within the next uh, few days i think um it's interesting i think the um three areas that, that i found i think if i if i go back to time when i when i set up my own business and had, had my own consultancy firm and um so it went from the, the, the support and, and sort of corporate umbrella um, to being out on my own. I think the, the th three things I learned there were, you know, one was plan for the unexpected. Um, and I think that's probably truer today than it's ever been in terms of the, uh, there. so um, yeah, be aware of what's happening around you. Um, you know, be prepared for the worst uh, or plan for the worst, hope for the best. But I think it's that, you know, just, don't be set in your ways and, and really sort of look. And I think that comes around back to, to some of the areas we talked about earlier in terms of development and, and, and looking to learn new things. I think, um, say, that adaptability um, will probably be the second one in terms of um, things aren't going to remain the same forever. Um, so I think you've got to then look at you know, what are the options, but don't just change for change sake, change because there's a reason. Um, and I think the another area is, um, particularly in the management team, is don't let emotions get in the way of a, a sensible decision. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on managers at the moment. Um, I think the the whole home working side of, of things is, is putting a lot of challenges in. There's a there's a lot of talk. We we, we talk. With, it's not an area we focus on. We work with a, a partner company who does a lot around mental health and, and mental well-being. Um, and I think managers have really got to be as understand their teams and and um, really sort of adapt and talk to those teams so actually if they're going to be working they've got people working for them know what their requirements are what their um their needs are um, and don't treat everybody the same i think that's so relevant right now tony We're hearing a lot of that aren't we companies that uh, aren't really understanding the needs of their employees in this current situation it's so crucial and I think the um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you know, we talk to a lot of businesses and, and not just in, in terms of our own customers or, or prospects, but also in, in other areas as well. And I think you know, people aren't going to be um, coming back into offices anytime soon. And I think from a, um, a development point of view, I learned a lot of um, what I knew from being in offices and just learning people around me. And I think um, you know, the younger generation um, and both my two daughters have graduated in the last uh, one last year and one um, three years ago. Um, you know, they're missing the office. I mean, they're missing it partly from the from the social environment and the contact and um, you know, being being trapped at home with two parents. But uh, 
but also it's that you know, ability to learn, that ability to just you know, talk to people. And I think you know, Zoom, Teams, whatever, um, you know, can bring people together, but actually there's no substitute for having that sort of half hour conversation or going out for a cup of coffee with somebody if you've got a problem and, and just learning from that. And I think the, uh, I think the, the, the younger generation have got it quite tough, you know, apart from the fact they're going to be paying for all this for the rest of their lives. They've also got it tough in terms of, you know, they're missing out on a vital bit of their development. You probably relate to that, Callum, don't you? Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a really valid point. I think, um, you know, working from home is great, gives you more flexibility and stuff like that, but then you do completely miss out on the, the social aspect of it, you know, interacting with other people, the learning you get from it. Um, and I think just having fun as well. I mean, that's like definitely a lot harder to do now, isn't it? I mean, slightly different to what we were talking about, but it's, it's a big aspect of being young, I guess, isn't it? And it's just unfortunate you can miss out on it, but it doesn't, not really tied into do with leadership, but yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how businesses react to it moving forward, especially with, you know, a potential lockdown coming soon. Um, it'll be interesting to see how people can lead teams and, and still make sure that their employees learn and develop as effectively as they can when they might be based at home or something like that. And, and I think you, you made a key point there about fun. Um, and I think that's something that is missing from, from a lot of workplaces. Um, yeah, we've had quite a challenging time over the last few years with Brexit. Um, organizations I think have been sort of you know, very much focused on, on um, the news, the gender, which I think it's been quite negative at times and I'd be quite critical of some of the news agenda has been being too negative but I think people have been stifled in what they're doing. Um, we've got organizations who you know we work with you know half of them don't even do business outside you know their own town sometimes but you know are worrying about what's happening in Europe and you think well okay but it's not necessarily impacting what, what you should or shouldn't be doing. Um, but I think there is that sort of really moving on in terms of, sort of you know, we've lost that sense of fun. I've been, I've been very lucky in terms of, you know, I've worked in for a photographic distributor. I've worked for a travel company. Um, I've worked for the company that made the John Cleese training videos, which um, Rebecca, I mean, Mood might, might remember, but Callum, you probably don't, probably don't remember John Cleese these days. Yeah. But, uh, um, and um, then I have my own business um, and then worked as an advisor with business links at work, going to see lots of small businesses and then, and then investor in customers. So I've been lucky that I've always done a job that I've enjoyed. Um, I wouldn't say I've enjoyed every moment of every <laughs> job I've done, but yeah, but I've always found out to have fun. I think you've got to relax. You know, you've got to, it's got to be serious, but you know, to use that old expression, you've got to work hard, but you can, you've also got to play hard. And I think you know, we're, we're missing out on that. And I think there's a, a lot of the team bonding, a lot of the team um, sort of just learning by osmosis, if anything, um, is, is not happening at the moment. And I think people are, um, you know, they're becoming a little bit too serious. We, we, we sometimes um, see things on television and, you know, that there's a, a, you watch a film where people are at a festival and you think they're having fun. Goodness, we're not having much of that at the moment. So, you know, that, that point is really pertinent. What would you um, wrap up with, Tony, in terms of some projects or developments that you're working on at the moment that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, I think the um, the one that I'm keenest on, I suppose, in, in, in so far as I agree, keen, keen on any one particular area. So there, it's not about looking at one individual thing, but um, we've just launched a new ambassador program. We've been working now for almost 15 years with, with various organisations. And, and provided them a, um, a corporate award where we've um, actually accredited them for their the, the skills of the, the business but we've now and this is based on customer feedback and, and I think this is one of the one of the key points that 
thinking about customers the whole time um, is vital. That our new individual award, we call the Ambassador Programme, looks at it's a development and development and recognition program um, for individual customer experience practitioners. And I have to say that the, the my colleagues on the board were not negative, but a little bit sort of well, why are we doing that? You know, isn't that moving us into a different area? So I sort of forced it through. The early results look quite good. Um, we've got quite a good uptake, but I think the the, the key thing I like about that is it, it's doing practicing what we preach because actually it is a anticipating needs of our customers because you know we're introducing needs that sometimes they don't think they've already got but it's also based on listening to what our customers say and um I, i'm a great believer in, in in learning from other people as well and jeff bezos from, from amazon that's got this thing called the empty chair and he has meetings where there's an empty chair there and at times during the meeting he'll look at the empty chair and just turn to the other people in the room and say if we had a customer sitting in that chair, what would we be saying that's relevant to them at the moment? And it really helps focus in terms of think about the customer as opposed to think about the internal processes and procedures. And um, I quite like the sort of, you know, the, the analogy and we, we use it ourselves in terms of, you know, okay, so a bit harder to do, we can maybe, maybe have a sort of a free video window or something that we can have that sort of say, you know, if we had a customer sitting in that video window in Zoom, uh, what would they be saying? But uh, I think quite often we lose track of, um, what our customers think and um, that's what as a business that's what we try and preach and um, but also as a business it's what we try and practice. I think it's uh, great that you bring it back to that point because that is what your business is all about isn't it that whole focus is on what do our customers think and how do we provide them with a fantastic excellent exceptional um, customer experience. Yes and and yeah, we have a very good team um, and I think that's one of the one of the other areas around you know recruitment it's recruiting the people who are right for the job as opposed to you know they, they might not be rude about um, our team but I mean you know, there's one girl I'm thinking of in particular um, who knows this because I've told her <laughs> this on numerous occasions and I've told this story before but um, she is absolutely fantastic she's brilliant with customers and when I when I do the recruitment now I, you know my my sole focus I trust the people I do the second interviews, so I trust the people um, that have done the first interviews that they're going to um, reassure themselves that the person can do the job. So I only look for one thing, you know, which of these people would I put in front of my customers? And um, Lisa came along, you know, on paper, um, you know, wasn't the strongest candidate in interview, um, wasn't necessarily the strongest candidate, but had that spark and had that um, real sort of belief about customers and our customers absolutely love her she, she's the most praised person in the company and rightly so because um you know, she, she's fantastic with customers can't do enough for them um but also can help them and guide them so you know, it was it was somebody who possibly in certain certain areas wouldn't have been recruited um but i think you know we made the right choice that's great to hear and i think a big thank you tony for sharing your insights with us and giving us kind of insights into the world of what does it take to, to be a leader and what does it take to deliver fantastic customer experience. And I think everybody that's listening to this are going to get a lot of value from that indeed. Yeah, thank you for me as well. Tony. I quite enjoyed what you shared earlier on at the start with your views on leadership and all those sorts of things. I think to wrap it up, like what you just said again, you know, was like relating things back to the customer. I think it was a nice, um, a nice point to end it on. Um, so yeah, a, bit, a big thank you for me as well. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tony.